we just say God make me faithful right or in our culture probably the biggest thing is let let me be successful right we live in a success driven culture not that that's necessarily bad but the Bible really asks us that we be faithful and when we're faithful we'll be fruitful when was the last time you asked God to make you fruitful Jesus said in John chapter 15 by this my father is glorified that you what bear much fruit so fruitfulness is important to God As Pastor Daniel shares today, we'll be reminded throughout the text that Jacob's life is coming to an end. But the tone of this teaching isn't sorrowful. Jacob sees how God was a shepherd to him throughout his life. After wrestling with an angel of the Lord, he walked with a limp. But he also walked more closely with God. As you listen, consider what you're asking God for as you walk in this life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Adoption of Joseph's Sons. There's something powerful about touch. I mean, if you read or study developmental psychology, you find out that touch is essential for basic childhood development. You know, and I know in the Bible it says we greet each other with a holy kiss. We only ask you guys to hug on each other here. And listen, I I say that in jest, but I also realize that some people have gotten really hurt in life and they're kind of scared of touch, you know? And so, and I realize that. I realize that sometimes those moments of, of what we like to joke and call forced fellowship is uncomfortable for people. And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry that it's uncomfortable for you. You know, it breaks my heart that it is. But there is something so special about touch. How often in the Bible do you find Jesus touching somebody? Somebody touching Jesus. We find out that Jesus is embracing people. So we don't necessarily want to make the exception to the rule, the rule. And I love that there's something so familial about Jacob as a grandfather, embracing his grandsons, kissing them, loving on them. Now, what's beautiful is after he does that, It says that in verse 11, that Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. In fact, God has also shown me your offspring. I mean, Jacob is blessing God because he never thought he was going to see Joseph again. Not only is he seeing Joseph, but he's also seeing Joseph's kids. It's one of those examples of Jacob simply appreciating the blessings of God. It's the little things sometimes that bring us the most joy. He's like, Joseph, I never thought I was going to see you again. And now I'm seeing your sons. How awesome is that? Now notice what happens in verse 12. Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And he brought them near to them. Now, this is the preparation for the blessing. And, and if you read this, you realize how specific the Holy Spirit is with this scene. Because he's trying, Joseph is trying to arrange Manasseh, who is the older son, to be at Jacob's left hand side so that his right hand will be on him. 
and Ephraim on his right side so that Jacob's left hand will be on it. Why? Because in that culture, sitting at the right hand was the place of blessing, the place of honor. That's why all through the Bible, Jesus says that he'll sit at my father's what? Right hand, which means that place of power, of honor, of blessing. Right? So Joseph is arranging so his older son Manasseh would be on Jacob's left so that when Jacob reaches up on his right hand would be Manasseh, the older one, so that the older will be blessed ahead of Ephraim, who is the younger. We've talked about this a lot in the study of the book of Genesis. This is the blessing of what they call the prima genitor, which means the firstborn gets the place of preeminence. So in that culture, the firstborn son was meant to become the spiritual head of the home, the patriarch of the family after his father. So Joseph is setting this up, trying to make sure that his older son gets Jacob's right hand, the place of power, of blessing, and the left hand. But then, of course, in verse 14, then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. I like to call this the old switcheroo. Joseph's got a plan. Jacob messes the whole thing up. You can imagine Jacob sitting up on his bed. He just crossed his hands. And notice in verse 14, great pains to say that he did it knowingly. His right hand went on to Ephraim's head. His left hand went on to Manasseh's head, even though Ephraim was the younger. Now, why do I bring this up? Because all through the book of Genesis... Almost every single family, we find a reversal of what you would expect. Cain and Abel. But Abel's the one whose offering is accepted. I mean, how many times did we see this, right? Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, but who gets accepted? Isaac, Isaac. They have Esau and Jacob, but who gets the place of blessing? Jacob. And now, of course, we have Jacob with all of his sons. And who ends up getting the blessing? Judah and Joseph. Not his firstborn. And now, when he's adopting Joseph's sons, Ephraim is going to get the place of blessing to the expense of Manasseh. And if you read the prophetic books, and if you hang out here on Wednesday night, probably in about 10 years, when we get to the prophet Isaiah, maybe longer, when we get to the prophet Isaiah, you're going to find that in speaking of the 10 northern tribes, which is called Israel, oftentimes they're going to be called Ephraim. Because Ephraim will become the largest of the ten northern tribes. So what is going on here? This switcheroo where the the younger gets the blessing over the older is actually going to play itself out in the history of your Bible. So it's not by chance. But notice in verse 15, the grandfather blesses Joseph by blessing his sons. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked the God who has led me all my life long to this day. I like this. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Notice that Jacob is praying about the spiritual heritage to which he was raised. Now, brothers, sisters, listen. I don't know what's going to happen in America. I don't know. But what I do know is What we do have control over is the spiritual heritage we give our kids. And I'm going to hope for the best with everything else. I am. I'm an eternal optimist. 
I believe God wants to bless people. But I don't have any control over that. I got one vote out of 300 million people. So I did my civic duty. But what I do have control over is that my kids have a spiritual heritage. And you know what's amazing? Even if I didn't have a spiritual heritage or I had an apathetic, nominal spiritual heritage, I can still give my children a spiritual heritage. So if you're a a parent, bless your kids with a spiritual heritage. If you're a grandparent, invest in your kids spiritually and give them a spiritual heritage. I love this. He's blessing me saying, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He's like, look, I'm a third generation follower of the Lord God Almighty. And I'm asking for his blessing upon my grandchildren. Beautiful. Not only that, notice what he says. He says in the second stanza of verse 15, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. That word fed literally in the Hebrew is the word shepherded me. The God who shepherded me. So here we see God as a shepherd. A God as a shepherd. And you think about a shepherd, a shepherd's job is to oversee and tend to sheep. Now, it's interesting. If you, There's a great book by a man named Philip Keller called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's a great little book. If you've never read it, I would encourage it because Philip Keller was a shepherd. He tended to the flocks. And he's reading Psalm 23. We all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. All, you know, he leads me beside still waters. He sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, it's a beautiful psalm. Classic psalm. Philip Keller, as a shepherd, talks about that psalm, but from a shepherd's perspective. And it's amazing how he talks about sheep. And it's an interesting word picture. And I don't mean to be crass, and I'm a sheep too. So in the book, he pretty much says, listen, all shepherds know that sheep are pretty dumb. I mean, that's just what he, I didn't write it. He's just saying, I'm just sharing it, you know. And he says that if you put sheep in an environment where there's no grass, the sheep will just eat the dirt. Literally. That those eat the dirt. They don't know any better. And so a good shepherd makes sure the sheep go to a place where there's good feeding. You know, and like, if it's dangerous for a sheep, the sheep will freeze. That's its, its norm is to freeze rather than flee. And so a good shepherd, when danger comes, comes and protects the sheep because he knows they're going to freeze rather than flee. Fascinating. He says things like this, that for a shepherd, when sheep stray often, eventually a shepherd, if a sheep strays enough time, will actually break the sheep's legs because he loves them. And the shepherd will carry the sheep who he broke his leg on his shoulders to protect him. And that leg will heal. And he says that those sheep, once their leg will broken, will never stray again. Now, each one of those just a few of the things he brings out out of the true life and work of somebody who shepherds sheep is all very meaningful to us, isn't it? Because if we look at our own lives, we realize that if we're left to our own devices, we will feed ourselves garbage and eat the dirt. Now, I can't speak for you. I just know that I've lived that. And I'm grateful for God's grace. Because before I got saved when I was 21, I ate a lot of dirt. And I thought it was good, too. I'm grateful for God's grace. He's like, man, you think that this is good. Let me show you something else. I'm like, thank God. Praise you, Lord. 
Because I was getting fat on dirt. And it may fill your belly, but it's got no nutritional value. I'll tell you that much. You know, and, and what's amazing is how often are we in situations of temptation and danger, but instead of running, we freeze and we stay there. And we let those situations overtake us. But a good shepherd calls us away, encourages us to flee. Sometimes, some of us know what it's like to stray. And some of us walk with a limp because God's broken our legs along the way. Think of Jacob, right? He walked with a limp the rest of his life, but God changed his name. God changed his name, changed his life. I love this because he sees that God has shepherded him. Makes me think of John chapter 15 where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know my own. Jacob's been shepherded by God. Not only that, but as it continues on, look at what he says. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads. It's interesting he uses this idea of the angel who has redeemed me. No doubt he's speaking of the angel of the Lord who he wrestled with at the river Jabbok, who most people would say was probably an incarnation of Jesus himself. Doesn't say that, so we don't want to go all the way there, but it's that messenger of the Lord who came. Notice he redeemed me from all evil. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And not only that, his supplication for these grandsons is bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I love this. He prays for blessing, for his adoption, and for fruitfulness. You know, you, you want a way to pray for your kids, your grandkids right there. Just ask for God's blessing upon their lives. That's why we did that for our nation before. Just let's ask God to bless our nation, to bless the world through our nation. We're giving God the prerogative to fill in the blanks of what that actually means. Lord, your best for our nation, your best for our children, your best for this world. Not only that, let my name be upon them. Let this adoption hold and let them grow into a multitude. I like this. It's a prayer for fruitfulness. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Because oftentimes we just say, God, make me faithful, right? Or in our culture, probably the biggest thing is, let let me be successful, right? We live in a success-driven culture. Not that that's necessarily bad. But the Bible really asks us that we be faithful, and when we're faithful, we'll be fruitful. When was the last time you asked God to make you fruitful? Jesus said in John chapter 15, by this my Father is glorified that you what? Bear much fruit. So fruitfulness is important to God. I hate to say it, but that means God wants us to be a little bit fruity from time to time. And I mean that biblically, above all other ways. Verse 17. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. 
and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So it's interesting that Joseph is displeased at what happens. And he's like, Dad, what are you doing? You know, and it's interesting here because Jacob knows exactly what he's doing. And as the Bible plays out, Jacob is actually functioning prophetically. But Joseph, having risen in the ranks, thought that he knew better than his dad. And isn't that the folly of youthfulness? We always think we know better than the folks who are older. Me and Pastor Bill were talking about this. He's like, listen, when I was young, I thought we knew more than our parents did. And you guys think you know more than we do. And your kids, they probably already think they know more than you do. So Joseph is calling his dad out. No, no, this guy's the older one. And I love Jacob's response. So beautiful. I know, my son. I know. I don't want to add motive to, to Jacob's response, but it's just kind of beautiful. He's like, I, know, I, I got it, bud. I know. I know. And he even says to him, listen, Manasseh's going to still be, become a people. He's also going to be great. But the younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And it's interesting, in the first census of Israel, in Numbers chapter 1, Ephraim's house is large, much larger. In, was it Numbers 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 33, it says, the tribe of Ephraim was 40,500. The tribe of Manasseh, Numbers 135, is 32,200. So already in the first census, Ephraim is bigger. Listen to the second census of Israel. Numbers 26. The families of Manasseh will be 52,700. That's Numbers 26.34. Numbers 26.37. The families of the sons of Ephraim were 32,500. So Ephraim got smaller. The final blessing of Joseph. Or in Moses, in Deuteronomy 33, again, Ephraim is given the place of prominence. And then finally, like I said, when you get to Chronicles, the tribes of Ephraim are way bigger than Manasseh, way larger. So Jacob realizes this. Joseph doesn't realize it. Now from there, notice what happens in verse 20. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So finally, here, he blesses them again, one more time, and he cements in stone that Ephraim is before Manasseh. Notice, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. So the younger succeeds before the older. Now, don't miss the New Testament implications of this. God called the children of Israel. He gave them the blessings of being the ethnicity to which Jesus came. And the early church was Jewish, but the predominant church today is what? Is Gentile. The gospel went to the Jew first and then the Gentiles, but very quickly in the early church, those who came later went before those who came first. The first will be last. The last will be first. Now, we do know that God's not done with the nation of Israel yet. And we know in the last days... In the tribulation period, 
it would seem from the book of Romans, the book of Revelation, and a series of other places, that the children of Israel will be leaders in the church of the last days when they look upon him whom they pierced, Jesus, the son of Mary, the stepson of Joseph, and they believe that he is the Messiah. But we have that same reality. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11 goes to many pains to make sure that the Gentiles realize that they've been grafted in to the work that God was doing, but that God isn't done yet. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Right there in the smack dab in the middle of the book of Romans. It's a very important section for us. But Ephraim goes before Manasseh. And then he reminds Joseph one more time in verse 21, I'm dying, God will be with you, and he will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Wow. He's saying, look, even though we're here in Egypt, God is going to bring you back to the land of your fathers. And this is awesome. Joseph, to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 24, Joseph says to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So Joseph reiterates this in two chapters when he is on his deathbed. Now, I want you to notice this just real quick. Behold, I am dying, but God. Don't miss that. I mean, Jacob's at the end of his life. He knows, he knows that his time is short. He says, behold, I am dying, but God. I've called those the glorious buts of the Bible. You can find them all over the Bible. Something negative, but God. Something that seems wrong, but God. Behold, I'm dying, but God. God's doing something. And what's beautiful, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, the bones of Joseph were buried in Shechem. So when Joseph died, they actually brought his bones out of Egypt. And in the book of Joshua, they buried his bones in the promised land. So by all accounts, Joseph died in Egypt, but he was still buried like his father in the promised land. And then finally, he tells Joseph that he is blessing him with a portion above his brother's. And it's interesting because Joseph, again, was not his firstborn. Leah had had a number of children before Rachel. Rachel gave his, her maidservant, had children. Then then Leah gave her maidservant, had more children. And then Rachel had Joseph. So Joseph as well receives a blessing over and above his brothers. And he talks about which he took from the hand of the Amorite. And that reminds us, of course, of the killing of those in Shechem in Genesis chapter 34, where his sons plundered the Shechemites. And Joseph is actually going to receive a double portion above his brothers because from that pillage. Jesus is At the end of Jacob's life, he was reunited with a beloved son, adopted his grandsons, and welcomed into a foreign land. He recognized God's hand over him and went towards death with a full and willing heart. When we obey, we can trust that God will be faithful. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. 
Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited. My book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available right now. It is released and God is using this book to be a message of hope to people who realize that life is messy, but Jesus is real. So get the book now. You can download it online. Go to honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold and where you like to get it. You and your friends are going to be blessed to get to read Honestly. I'm so excited about it. God bless you. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll hear Jacob speak about each of his sons and prophetically about the 12 tribes of Israel. There are lessons to be learned from each brother who speak to our humanity. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled Brothers. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.